to the new episode of Supply Cast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today, I'm kindly joined by Pav Devsi. Hi, Pav. Hi, Al. Thank you for finding the time in your busy job to join us for this episode of Supply Cast. First of all, uh, again, this is, a, this is this is an issue I've had a few times, which is where I could not believe how long your job title appears to be. And this is such a recurring thing in procurement that I think I might just change the beginning of Supplycast to tell me what your job title is, because it makes it a lot easier than me remembering it. Pav, what's your job title? So uh, my job title is uh, the Director of Procurement and Contracts for for the North East London NHS Foundation Trust, for Barnet, Enfield and Haringey Mental Health Trust, and for the Camden and Islington NHS Foundation Trust. So we're and a shared that, service. <laughs> Go on, that's, yeah. why I, that's why I didn't want to remember all that. <laughs> I saw that. It was uh, the boy did take, take up a lot of space on, on, on LinkedIn. Um, but I guess I guess you keep that shorter for your like name nameplates or, or or whatever. Um, before before we continue, um, there is because we're in lockdown, there everyone's gone DIY mad, have they not? And my area is is no different. So if during the course of this someone hears a bit of drilling or or power washing, <laughs> you know, let's you know just just you know treat it as um, a sign of the times sort of thing but they seem to be quite quiet at the moment so I think we're safe. Pav, first thing I was going to say was as someone who would be considered on the younger side of people in um, NHS procurement how did you get into how did you get into this this business how did you find your way at such a young and tender age how did you find your way into this yeah so I I think um I think as many many procurement professionals find um I kind of fell into procurement um I I once I'd done my law degree my plan was to go to the states and and do my master's but at the time the credit crunch had hit um and what I wanted to do was just to work for a bit and to save up some money um but yeah that uh, led I did did my first job at the council and that snowballed into into other roles and, and that's kind of how I got into it um, and I think I've just been given really, really good opportunities and been lucky enough to have them um, throughout my career. So that's that's how I that's how I got into it. Um, this particular um, organisation that I'm in now, I started here, um, and uh, two months in me being here, I was I was reporting directly to the head of procurement. He told me that he was leaving um, and wanted uh, they needed someone to act up. So so we, I did that for a year, and then yeah, the rest is history. Wow. Really? Yeah. What was that like being told being told that? Um, I mean, I think I, I didn't believe it at the time. He looked over at me and he said, I'm going. And I said, well, that's not that wasn't the plan. We were going to build something really amazing together. That's that's what I was sold. Um, but he said you could still do that. And he'd had a conversation with the finance director at the time. Um, and I, I think I was just really lucky in terms of uh, having a really good leadership team and, and, and an organisation which supported uh, development and gave gave me that opportunity. So, yeah, it was uh, uh, I had a new recruit at the time as well, who I still remember looking at me saying, do you think we can do this? And I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll give it a go. Everyone seems to think we can. And, and we've all got some really good ideas. And we have a blueprint and a plan that we want to work to. So, yeah, we gave it a go. And here we are eight years later. 
That's amazing. Just before we continue on with with that, just wanted to circle back a bit. You were saying that um, you originally were going to go to the to the states mm-hmm. and were looking into a, a, a profession in law. Mm-hmm. What? Where did you? What made you first look to pursue that? And has that has your your interest in in that side of things? Has that been useful in what you're doing now in procurement? Uh, so my uh, so my dad uh, did law as well at university. So that's what what kind of inspired me. Um, you know, it, it was one of those things when I was younger. My dad would have me. Um, you know, he would act. Have my granddad as the judge. He would pay. He would play the witness, and I'd be I'd be the lawyer in the courtroom, ever interrogating him or or, or some some other poor member of my family. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think <laughs> yeah. Were, that's, they, that's... were they real? Were they real? Like. Um were they real um minor crimes around the household like you know who took the last jaffa cake or they should have been shouldn't they no i went straight to murder and yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so that's that's interesting so you very so you you came from a household where that was kind of like that's what you're going to go into yeah uh that you know that that's what that's what that's what we do obviously a lot of households are like that um were your family supportive at that time? I mean, obviously, oh, you were in a, you kind of, you had to rethink things a bit there mm-hmm. and make a bit of a, you know, make a bit of a about face in terms of what you, what you were doing. But they were kind of like, yeah, you know, that's a good, good idea. And you said you fell into procurement, but was there some, was there some sort of a link there? Was was there something around where you thought you could take what your interests were in terms of law into procurement? So Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. What, so, what so, so that was um, I. So, so there was a few different jobs that I could have gone for. So that one was um, a very entry level role within the IT team, and there was one very entry level role within uh, within procurement. And for me, I think it was the linking with contract law. So obviously, I'd taken modules of that in my in my first degree. So that for me felt like a quite um, an interesting insight into the into the local council where I'd first started working. So, how much of what you what you're doing at the moment is is your um, uh, your understanding of contract law, those sort of elements? How how much of that is that part of your job now? Um, so, I think uh, probably do it on a daily basis. But um, as as you said earlier, um, right at the beginning, um, procurement isn't just procurement. Um, in what we do, we do, we do, we source, we do market yeah. testing, we look at spreadsheets, we speak to people, we look at contracts. It's just, you know, we have a, we have a depot here as well in terms of managing warehousing and logistics. So, so there's lots, lots of different, uh, lots of different facets of that. Um, and I think um, that's one of the reasons why I actually wanted to continue um, in the role that I was doing. And when I was then offered progression opportunities, I was quite, quite keen to take that up instead of go back and uh, study and do my masters. It just, it just was so. So it's it's a career I think or, or an area of, of each organization that people don't really know too much about or it's not it's not really exciting enough probably at university level to to promote or it wasn't it wasn't back in my day anyway so <laughs> it's yeah it's been it's been really really exciting to be a part of. How did you go about for when you've told us that it was kind of suddenly put towards you that um you know that your um you know your boss was leaving effectively and you know i think you can do this good luck mm. <laughs> see you later yeah what, what made you think how did you approach it how did you approach how did you approach so early into to working 
there. How did you approach that kind of responsibility being put in you that early and at that time of your career? Yeah, well, I think I think the same thing happened in my first job. So, um, you know, I was uh, 23 at the time. My um, my line manager had taken some sick leave, um, and we were working on um, an ERP implementation, which is uh, in essence a move uh, from a number of different systems, HR, procurement, finance, etc., into one. Um, so, my boss was the procurement SME, and he uh, took a leave of absence. So then I had to step up and and then play that supporting role. So I think. Um, yeah it was it's something that I'd done before uh but within this role as well it was it was quite exciting I'm quite always you know I think I think my uh, you know again something that my dad said to me is is that when with anything as long as you've taken responsibility that's half of it done um so I think yeah we had the right support and I had um a good bunch of people around me as well in in the team many of who we, we still have in the team now so it was uh it, it was ne- it was never scary yeah he's a, he's a wise man your father I can tell. Yeah. Uh, so you're eight years later, did you say? Yeah. How, how do you feel you've developed in procurement? How do you think you've developed as a procurement professional during that time? Um, I think I think I've developed quite a bit um, because the role uh, in this organisation that I that I was I think I first started and so so when when we um, when we first started here at Nelft uh, we so we were just providing procurement services for Nelft um, and it was um, an organisation which had um, just acquired another two um, organisations so had gone from. Uh, non-pay of 60 million to uh, 110 million Um, and all of that was being managed by one head of procurement and um, five transactional members of staff so that's actually quite quite a big uh, number for that to be uh, managed with so um, the first role I think that we had was to try and scale and create some really good best practice services so we introduced category management um you know all the usual stuff that people listening would 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 be used to in terms of the p2p systems um implementation of that across the trust we put in place a strategy uh, we asked for resource because clearly that that wasn't enough for us to do um but that that was the first three years in terms of implementing a strategy at nelft that, that we then followed through with um and then we then moved to uh barnett and Carringay to provide services to them and then, and then finally camden and Islington. so there's always been something new to pick up and something new to learn um i think with working with the other two organizations it's just really been an understanding of working with different stakeholders and how that adds layers to the process um that we need to get past so that we can really get those benefits um over the past couple of uh, over the past year specifically with with covid i think a number of mental health and community trusts will will, will appreciate and understand um we, we we don't tend to have logistic services so we've spent time putting together a logistic service as well so again that's something new and and, and different and there's lots of different skill sets that you have to pick up in that time okay i just wanted to ask you a little something about something that came up and it was quite a life issue during, during the covid covid thing there was actually two issues that spring to mind suddenly the first one was one that i don't think we want to touch on too much which with your interest in contract law what you make of the furore over contracts but we'll part that to, to, to one side and leave that a whole other that. conversation <laughs> I think we best leave that to the panorama, but you know, I, I assume you've watched in a gog at times over the last 12 months as far as that's concerned. Uh, was there anything you wanted to say about that or shall I quickly steer it away from that? <laughs> I don't think I've got anything to say that my colleagues wouldn't <laughs> say already or wouldn't know already. I think we've all talked sure. it to death. 
Exactly. Um, okay. One other thing that came up a lot uh, during COVID was the was uh, uh, the, the issue about um, uh, BAME people in, in healthcare, and the fact that we know that there was a particular there appeared to be a particular danger uh, to 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 BAME people in regards to COVID nineteen. There seemed to be a bit of a disproportionate effect that it had. So there was a, there was a lot of story first of all about the protection of BAME healthcare workers at the time, uh, whether whether enough was being done to look mm -hmm. at the, the evidence that was coming out in terms of how it was disproportionately affecting them. That's one side of it. And the, the, the other side of it that, that I've seen, which, which um, I've, I've recently seen stuff that we've actually got on the HTSA website at the moment that is seeking to be addressed, which was how a lot of PPE wasn't isn't really made with, with certain uh, BAME individuals in mind, you know, mm. whether they wear headdresses or, or or whatever, or how they wear their hair in, in conjunction to their mm. to their to their religion. Um, there's two areas there I wanted to ask you about. Some, uh, uh, did you have a view in the first one, which is the um, situation with BAME healthcare employees? Uh, given the disproportionate effect of COVID nineteen, um, I, I think I think as as we all know, we all went into this unprepared, and I think a number of these issues um, came up um, going going through the, um, uh, an understanding. I think the issues got, they they started arising, we, and we just had to react and had to deal with them. Um, I, I think one of the things that we tried to do um, as an organisation was um, uh, so, for example, um, some people of different you know, different ethnicities might have smaller faces or larger faces. So what we did is we made sure that we um, tried to have a range of masks so that when they were fit tested against those masks, they then had the right the, the right protection for them. Uh, but I suppose that's something that we wouldn't have necessarily have known right at the beginning and without the time sure. to pre-plan and to, and to figure that out, we, we wouldn't know uh, what to do. Um, but the, some of the things that we did do, again, as an organisation, um, is. Uh, locally i'd say which is quite commendable is, is that we made sure that we did buy things like beard covers and and and, and um, try to adapt the ppe accordingly um so yeah so i think we did we did a we did a good job with that um the wider wider issues i suppose in terms of how um people feel and how um that's then affected them in in, in different ways is again lots to be lots to be said about that and i think um lots of colleagues have got many many different points on that, that i'd probably just be reiterating i guess the main thing is that there's obviously a lot of lessons to be learned right across the mm. scale in the last 12 months and that's certainly one of them that should be brought to the fore um and i i think you know i mean i as i say on hcsa website that we've got lots of stories at the moment where people are ppe manufacturers are, are thinking more about those aspects as well so suitable PPE is obviously mm. the most obvious starting point um, that hopefully will be in a better scenario if you know, thankfully something like this doesn't happen again. I'm talking as if COVID's over, it isn't, but we do feel because of the incredible vaccination um, uh, drive, mm. that we do feel like we're closer to the, to the end now than the beginning or middle. Absolutely. Um, I don't. I don't hope those won't be famous last words. But you know, next time there's a, a pandemic, I think what's important now is that I guess everyone feels that they're better prepared. I mean, do, do you now feel you yourself that 
you're better prepared if this happens when this happens again i'm going to say what i mean i, I want to say if just to be positive i'm going to say if just to be positive you know but yeah. let's, let's pretend this is going to be the last pandemic ever ever you know? why not why not you know people might be listening to this at the weekend they're trying to relax chill out mm-hmm. let's, let's pretend that's it after covid19 no more pandemics but if something similar did happen again do you feel as a whole better prepared do you feel the industry is better prepared I think um, probably just looking a little bit more short term, mid term, we know that we're potentially, you know, there might potentially be a third wave. Mm. Um, uh, there might be, um, you know, any elongated periods of, of lockdown, etc. So I know that we as an organisation um, that, we're, that we're working with, and I suppose within the different sectors that we have as well, we now have processes in place and we now have networks in place that we didn't have before. So I think from that perspective, we are definitely you know 100% much much better prepared um and yeah I think I don't, I don't see why we can't take those lessons forward if, if this would you know god forbid ever, ever happen again well that, that's good that's certainly good to hear um I usually like to discuss I guess we have in a way I've mentioned some of the fact that um the HTSA news news area is covering a lot on the aspects that we've spoken about today already I was just wondering, are you a HCSA member? I am, yes. You are indeed. Good. Just for a minute there, I thought if you were saying no, that's going to be a really awkward silence. <laughs> we, we would have edited it out. We would we would either edit it out or we, or we would overdub you saying yes if you said no. I'm sure <laughs> we could do a re-loop like they do in Hollywood. We could loop your lines. Um, so you're a HCSA member. This is it's very good. And what, what would you, we're at the moment this year, the HCSA is looking uh, to really go on a drive with membership this this year, we've got a target that we want to hit. Um, what what made you become a HCSA member? What benefits do you do you get for it from it? So the reason I became an HCSA member was um, again right at the start of my career in in the NHS. I was um, you know I was, I was very new to to NHS procurement and having to learn quite quickly because as as I said um, I became I became the head of procurement um, at 25 and didn't have much uh, other industry kind of understanding or knowledge. Um, so the HCSA event, which was two days, um, I think it was in Manchester at the time, was one of the first events that I went to mm-hmm. and just gave me so much value. There was really good speakers there. Uh, there was really good, um, whether it was national, whether it was around the clinical networks. And and that's what kind of, yeah, I think anyone who's, who's listening to this will, will will join things and do things when we think they're actually adding value. And and, and it really, really did at the time. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's what drove me to become a member. That's excellent, and what a what a brilliant move it was. Looking back, absolutely. <laughs> um, are you well? We're hoping to in November with the the, the big conference in November. HCSA work. We're again very confident that that will be a live or hybrid event. Uh, so it will be. What? How do you feel about that? Are you would you be? Look, are you looking forward to getting back to a kind of a face to face conference? Definitely. I think um, yeah, everyone's got Zoom fatigue now, haven't they? Me included. I was just saying to a, a colleague earlier that I'm, on a Friday night, if, I, if my friends want to do some, you know, have wine, over, over, a glass of wine over Zoom, I'm just sick and tired of it. So <laughs> I think, yeah, let's, let's get back to face-to-face um, conferences. I think the networking you kind of end up doing as well. It's just so much better, so much more fun. 
well, hopefully that's you know we we can get that again in November. Uh, so just to finish off, we have a little part at the end of every supply cast, which I have now called Desert Island Supplies. Very, you know, very, very proud of it. Very proud that I came up with that. You know? Well done. <laughs> Slap myself in the back. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to say well done at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've adapted it. I've adapted it slightly because the, the it used to be, it is still, if you was on a desert island, and as I always say, let's just assume there's plenty of fluid and uh, and food there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So really, it's just entertainment purposes. Um, if you could only take one album, so for the rest of your life, you can only listen to one album, um, and you could only watch one film that you could take with you. So that, that's the question. But also, because of speaking to Chris Holmes from NHS Supply Chain last time out, he I let him take his surfboard right. So as well. Because I kind of thought, well, you know, he's going to be on a desert island. There's, you know, it's it, a bit cruel, a bit cruel not to let him take a surfboard, I thought. So I've now gonna I've now adapted this, and you and this you'll be the first person to get the option of right. also also. So you got your, your your album, your film. You can also take a, a luxury item as well. What would oh. the three things be? Mm, don't say um, surfboard. Don't say surfboard. No, <laughs> I can't surf, so I won't say surfboard. Um, so I think um, film would probably be Limitless. That's one of my absolute favourites. Bradley Hooper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the album i'd say probably one of sia's albums i really like her music so yeah yeah um and luxury item i'd say probably my entire bedroom if that's okay could i take <laughs> just a room because it's got all my luxury items in it so <laughs> it's got my clothes my shoes but yeah wow, i don't think i could live without that so that's that, that's unbelievably cheeky but i'm gonna let you have it and now Thank i can you. see why at 25, you were picked to head up the game. And I'll don't get. It's that kind of thinking <laughs> that's driven you on to do your career. Clearly, uh, so you've got so you've got your Sia album. So you can, um, and you've got Limitless. So you've got Bradley Cooper. You've got Sia, and and you, you're taking your whole your whole bedroom. I mean, why not take the whole house or the street? You know, damn it. <laughs> wasn't quick enough is some, someone's gonna someone's got to do better next time <laughs> Pav thank you for finding the time to join me I know you're crazy busy just like everyone we, we, we talked to on the podcast but thank you for finding the time to to talk that's that's really great and continued success and sure you you know you, you. you won't need it I'm sure um you seem to be setting your path there um and you know stay stay healthy as well and uh, i hope you have a good 2021 and hopefully in november uh we'll see you at the face-to-face -face in the khsa conference definitely thank you can i just um uh, just one thing i think it yeah just thanks can. thanks thanks so much for um for having me i, I really really appreciate it um uh, the other thing is is just to mention we've got a few jobs going on at the uh, procurement shared service so just wanted to use this forum to say if anyone's Brilliant. listening and is interested please do get on nhs jobs and apply fantastic never miss an opportunity again i can see where you've uh... Where you were head of procurement at 25. Uh, th that's brilliant. So, yeah, as Pav said there, if, if there's an opening there, so please go to NHS Jobs to apply for it, yeah? Yeah. Um, and uh, brilliant opportunity to work with, with Pav. I mean, what... My what, amazing what, team. 
Well, yeah. and your amazing team, Pav, and yeah. your amazing, amazing team there. So what a, what a great opportunity. Uh, again, thank you very much for joining me, Pav. That's, it's been terrific. Um, so that completes this episode of Supplycast. Make sure you join us on the next podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Mm-hmm.